Yeah, it's great. I know he's uh, put in a good week of work and is, you know, really motivated, obviously, to, to find his form and you know, come back and be a difference maker as he has been for us in his time here. So, uh, yeah, we uh, we think the world of him. We love him as a teammate, and, and uh, you know, just great to see him back out there. Yeah, it's great. I mean, obviously, uh, being away for a little bit, um, seeing him back here, he's been doing a lot of good work. So. Uh, it's on us to you know, continue to support him, continue to uh, help him in you know, whatever way he needs. I think he was very appreciative of how he handled it the last, the last bit. How he's been able to work with Hanum and, and his combination of spending time alone, um, working on his game, and uh, lots of time in the gym, lots of time to clear his head and go through the mental side of it. Uh, got a good practice with the Marlies yesterday and get some more, you know, more of those types of reps which are important uh, for him. Um, but he's, you know, he's he's going through it right now, and he said we've got to we've got to help him him through that, but also he's got to help himself. And in the meantime, we got to continue to do uh, to do what's right for him to be his development. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. That was John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Sheldon Keefe talking about Ilya Samsonov, who is back in name only with the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's going to be the backup tonight. I, I guess, you know, you, you'll be able to see him uh, in oh, Long Island tonight. Oh, there will be camera shots. I can assure you yeah. there will be a lot of glimpses of Samsonov. I missed this yesterday. It's, you know, new year, new me season. We're still in January. We are long past the time of saying happy new year to people because we're not psychos, but it's very much a new year, new Samsonov. Came back, new mask. This is exactly something I would do. I saw this yesterday. Apparently, had a new paint that. job uh, on the mask. Yeah, just seeing that uh, a minute ago there. And uh, honestly, try anything. Like, you're a goaltender. You know, Lord knows you've been trying enough of actual, like, technical goaltending stuff. Try something else. Yeah, drive, drive a different way. Take the subway like your Nylander. Yeah. Honestly, there's no bad ideas to fix Ilya Samsonov right now. Well, that's what the Maple Leafs are doing. They're they're not putting him in AHL games. They're putting him on the shelf for almost two weeks and hoping that that will remove the shambles from his brain. He mm-hmm. will his brain will be deshambled. We'll see. Do you and think it, he could? Do you think he like consulted Mitch Marner on that? Yeah. And do you think and do you think someone put them in Ilya Samsonov's brain or he put them in there himself? Because yeah. Mitch Marner said we were doing that. That's to him. right. I don't think that's an us thing. That I, I don't think I put any shambles in Ilya Samsonov's brain. I think brain. that's like a thirty one other NHL teams thing. And it, actually really just a couple, mostly the Blue Jackets. So I think what's what's telling is that Sheldon Keefe said, Yeah, we gotta do our best to to insulate the player and play well defensively around him. But he's, it's also pro sports. Like, you, you got to help yourself, man. Like, mm-hmm. this is, like, you're getting paid millions of dollars for a reason. And it's not the many more millions that you expected for the many more years coming off the season that you did a season ago. But that there's a reason why you were only, you know, given the contract you were in arbitration. Mm-hmm. It's because you have to prove yourself over multiple years, even with the uh, draft history that you have. And going back to our conversation with Anthony Petrielli, like, yeah, okay, the Leafs at at points this season have done a really good job of limiting the opportunities. And, you know, Samsonov's mm-hmm. first game back after you know, missing a couple previously, a shutout against the Predator. Like that, they, they've shown the ability. <sighs> that was 100 years ago. They've shown the ability to really shut things down. Now, I would argue that his last appearance was not, it's not like if he was facing 100 plus shot attempts like nope. the poor goalie in Anaheim was or the Sharks were in the last two games against the Maple Leafs. Okay, it wasn't nothing, but his offense also put up an incredible amount of support for him. Mm -hmm. And that's the way this team is generally built. 
What he did in that game, though, was allow goals on shots that it does. There is no defense for. There is no like. You, there's no team. Hey, man, we actually can't allow any shots on goal. No, that's not a. That's not a game plan. That's 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 not something that any. NHL, other than the Carolina Hurricanes with David say, Ayers. But okay. that's, that's other one that night. Game, yeah. It's one night. And <laughs> it's not even. It's half a game. And and they had built a lead by that point anyways, right? So <laughs> I guess maybe if there's a if there's a lead built for, uh, for the Leafs that they can do that and they can just start stacking players on the goal line or something. I But yeah, save for that, that's not a, that's not a game plan. No, it's not. You cannot, you can't play hockey afraid. Like, you can't do it in terms of a physical nature. We talked about that a lot of times with this team, but you also can't do it in the idea of being afraid to make the mistake. You should play within a system. You should play within structure. You should play smart, but that doesn't mean you should be quaking in your boots to have anything go the other way at any given time. It is just not a recipe. It has been the thing that has been the death knell for this team more times. I shouldn't say more times than not in the grand scheme of things, but that has been the thing that's undone this team in individual games going all the way back to the Babcock era. The idea of a goaltender letting in the stinker early Mm -hmm. on and it kills them. I hope we do not see that because honestly, if the stinker goes in for Samsonov in the third period, he's already put in two periods of good work, then I think it's a very different conversation than that one in the first period. And the Maple Leaf skaters, they're, they're professionals and they should be able to overcome like, you know, some adversity and, and some things not going their way, whether it's bad luck or it's bad goaltending or yada, 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 yada. I'm sorry, but they're only human beings. I was there in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. You were. <laughs> what a what an intro to Leafs Nation for your son. Yeah. It's his second game he's seen in person. Oh. Uh, and it was more entertaining the first one, which yeah. was, I think, a game with no penalties either side for between the Leafs and Sharks a couple of years ago. Anyways. <laughs> So yeah, at least there was there were things happening in that game. A lot of goals against. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Leafs skaters are only human beings, and sure, like one bad goal against. Okay, shake it off. Yep. Let's move forward. Two bad goals against. Three bad goals against. You can't help but change your mentality. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I don't care who you are. There is there is no uh, mental cure all for that type of attitude considering the way Ilya Samsonov has played this season. There just isn't. I'm sorry. No, you cannot. Again, you cannot play that way. You have to play with some modicum of confidence in your line mates, but you need it in the guy behind you as well. And it's been the thing that's crushed this team so much in the past. All right, time for our insider, who is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Our insider today is also our Leafs historian, Toronto Star contributor, Damian Cox. How's it going, Demo? Does that mean I get the twice as much, twice, my salary doubles? Yep. Is that what happens? Yeah, zero Just times. Like, you can have a hundred times it. That's fine. I'm I'm surprised you guys have time for me this morning with everything. Bill it's Belichick and on. Bill Carroll and Keith Pelly and yeah. John Tortorella and Elias. Holy geez, there's a lot going on. I today. know. Okay, you know what? Let's start with Pelly, though, because I, I, it's interesting to me, I don't know what it portends or what it means necessarily. And the the leadership structure at MLSE has been so clouded in mystery over the last couple of years and, and who actually runs the show there and, and nobody even knowing who the interim CEO has been and David Frisdahl, like I couldn't recognize him if I ran into him in the, in the hallways here today. What, what do you know about how it works? I, do you have more information than me? Like, do you, what, what do you think this means that Keith Pelley, it feels like as early as today, is going to be named uh, MLSE president and CEO? Well, it means uh, the guy who lives up, lived up the street from me uh, mm-hmm. up until about a couple of years ago has had like one of the great 
uh, executive God. careers <laughs> in Canadian sports history. I mean, holy smokes. And now they end up here. Now, part of it is, you know, and I haven't talked to Keith. We're friends, but I have not talked to him. And I have no idea what's going on in his head. You do wonder, like, I did talk to him about a year and a half ago when I was over in England. And there was so much going on with the golf world at that time that you wondered, Jesus, where's the European tour going to be in all of this? And maybe the, if the, the time was there for him either to move on from that or to come back. Uh, come back to Canada, which I think was probably always on the radar screen for him. As far as uh, MLSE, I mean, you know, it's probably steady as she goes for the most part. Um, you know, all the signs are good in terms of profit and valuations and all that sort of stuff. But there is some stuff going on at the ownership level um, with Larry Tannenbaum maybe moving on. Um, and when you pick a dynamic character like Keith Pelly as opposed to a Michael Friesdahl, it's because somebody wants to shake things up. Somebody wants to things to change a little bit or to make sure that the organization's uh, sort of at a, at, a, at a cutting edge. We know Keith is not going to just sit quietly in the background as his predecessor did. What you can do with these organizations and all the properties that the MLSE owns to make a substantial difference, I can't speak to um, because it's an incredibly successful organization. But it's going to be, I think it's going to be great having Keith back and maybe a guy at that level who can on occasion speak and tell us about what's going on at the ownership level. Guys, the fact that we never hear from the ownership of the Maple Leafs is so weird compared to the way it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we, we've, we've certainly had some, uh, you know, Tim Laiwiki was, was what, like weekly, bi-weekly, yeah. taken to yeah. a microphone? As often as he was allowed, it felt like. Yeah, yeah but it must be said he also put uh, in place a couple of presidents that were given some level of autonomy and, and were yeah. the respective, you know, like faces of their individual franchises in Masai Ujiri and Brendan Shanahan. So I imagine that's, you know, that did change things and maybe... When it did change, there was a, a, a difference in opinion of the board that, hey, actually, we, we don't need uh, more hands-on, like, sports person at the helm here. But you're right to talk about, I think, again, what do, what do I know? But, like, it does feel like this was done for an expressed purpose. I also wonder right. the, the, the Pelly mentality, because it felt like a dream job. Uh, over in Europe, doing what he did with the DP World Tour, um, I also do think, like you, that the the uncertainty surrounding pro golf in the world probably made him think, "Hey, is there a, is there an off ramp here?" But also, this is a dream job for him. Like as much as that is a dream job, this is the biggest one you can have in sports in this country. But are you making the leap if you're not given some level of power? Oh, I, I, yeah, I, I think no is the answer. I mean. You know, and now what that level is and what he chooses to do. Um, I mean, the way he's been able to leap from job to job and just get bigger and bigger. And I think anybody would have taken any of the jobs this guy had, and he's had them all. Right. Which is really quite something. And you know, like you know, Keith Keith has like all prominent executives. He has his detractors. Um, you know, who more more show than than uh, results. I don't necessarily agree. And I think uh, a lot of the stuff that was going on at the DP World Tour in the midst of uh, this crazy golf scenario right now um, was really was really positive. And he, geez, guys, he loved it over there. I mean, the golf club he belonged to, and oh, the house he had, oh, and the, you know, God. and how his kids were doing, and his family. I mean, he really had it going on. So um, 
like I say, I, I think what's interesting is in a, in a town where all we, you couldn't not hear from Harold Ballard forever. And even before him, you know, Con Smythe, of course, and Stafford Smythe. And then after that, it was Steve Stavro and, and those guys. And now to the point where your only information you ever get from ownership is occasionally Larry Tannenbaum might say something. And usually that's about the Argos. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, un, it, we really don't have a lot of insight into what's going on at the board level, but when you have that money, big companies, big egos, big executives, they are bound to disagree on any number of things, whether it's, you know, what they're spending their money on or what they're not spending their money on. And so I'm sure Keith's going to get right in the middle of all that. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a big job, no no doubt about it. The God, I want to talk to you about the Leafs, but this is so interesting to me. You know, we obviously, you know, a lot of people have been saying since Lewicki, there hasn't been somebody who's been more vocal. What do you read into, if anything, just the background that Pelly comes from versus a guy like Lewicki? Like Lewicki was steeped in the idea of working in orgs kind of like this, whereas Pelly has had his hand in broadcast organizations. He has yeah. ran leagues. Do you think it says anything about the direction, or is this just the kind of right character for the job? Because, you know, I can see a world where Lewicki's job was to set up the pillars, and then Pelly's job now is going to be a very, very different one. Yeah, I mean, both they're similar in that they've moved on from, they haven't stayed at jobs forever and ever and ever. Um, and so they come in, they do their thing, and then generally they they move on. Um you know, in, in Tim's case, you know, he's, when he arrived, he saw an organization that really had kind of lost its way from a competitive point of view, that there were just, there was a lot going on in MLSE and none of it had to do with winning championships. So he identified that. And as you said, brought in Masai Ujiri, brought in Brendan Shanahan, and we've seen the results. They may not be what everybody wants, but they've been pretty darn good. Could uh, be worse. In a lot of ways. <laughs> to definitely be worse. Um I, I suspect, even though, I mean, I mean, you know, Keith was there when the Argonauts won a great cup and was involved in all of that stuff. I suspect that'll be less his focus. And, you know, more of his focus will be on the business aspects of what's going on with these organizations. Um, you know, none of, I, uh, the NHL is looking at expansion. How do the leagues feel about that? International play. Um, what's going on with the NBA? What's going on with maybe a WNBA franchise that was talked about and there was a lot of disappointment that uh, that, that didn't happen with MLSE, you know? And so it, it, there's all, all those things are, are possible. I mean, this, this organization, guys, mm-hmm. is gargantuan. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they wake up in the morning and, and open their, you know, their, their agenda and see, hey, here's what we're going to talk about, it could be anything. It could be taking over the world. I mean, they're just that big. Of course, Leaf fans would just like a Stanley Cup and, and, and they don't really want the rest of the other stuff. But that's not the way it works. And what are we now? 2024. Yes, that's I right. got the year right. Yes, Good sir. Job. Man, as, the, as our Leafs historian, you got to know what the year is. Okay? <laughs> Stanley Cup, I'd settle for not touching the Prince of Wales trophy. Like that yeah. in and of itself would be nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. We're all guessing. Um, but you know the man. Do you, do you think Masai Ujiri or Brendan Shanahan need to be nervous about this? No, no, I don't. I I, I don't think they they do. I I think you know when you look at how you know Keith worked with a, a pinball Clemens and people like that. He's never been one to show up and all of a sudden start firing everybody. That's never been his style. Um, 
you know, obviously it depends what his mandate is exactly. There could be frustrations um, with either one of those franchises at the corporate level with MLSE. But, I, you know, you know, he's never been that guy to start, you know, to, to roll in and start. He's, a, he's more of a creator and uh, let's try this. Okay, this idea may not work, but let's try this then. You know, he that's always been in it. I mean, Keith's got a thousand ideas a day, and five hundred of them will work, and five hundred might not work at all. And, <laughs> and you know, and I mean, that's always been his way. So yeah, no, I, I suspect what you'll see is him show up. The job will start. Nothing will be. Uh, you'll see nothing happen, and then you'll see things starting to happen six months to a year after that. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, and uh, you know, fifty-fifty. It's a good batting average, but a, an atrocious save, <laughs> a, an atrocious save percentage, and maybe that leads us uh, to to the Leafs here, Demo. Uh, Ilya Samsonov is back, at least in theory. He will be the backup tonight in in Long Island. <laughs> I think a lot of people are maybe expecting him to play one of these games this weekend. What is your read on this? Does this feel like a last gasp opportunity to to see what they have here? What do you make of the uh, the soap opera that's been Samsonov in the last couple of weeks to the Leafs here? Well, you know, you, you feel like it's a last gasp, but then look, like you know, there's talk about Matt Murray may be returning and not that far in the future, and he may he may get a chance to play games before the end of the season. So I don't think you write off these guys because they go up, they go down. I I think it's very curious that they bring him up and then basically hide him from all media. So you're telling me you think he's now ready for competition in the world's elite hockey league, but he can't talk to a reporter because he what might break down. I mean, that makes no sense. And if he is that delicate a character, maybe he's not ready at this time. I mean, yesterday the NHLPA announced a whole mental health thing, which is fantastic you know, what they're talking about. And you sure get the sense with Ilya Samsonov, I don't know the man, that he's struggling with whether it's hockey or life. One of the two, right? And we all, well, I don't struggle with hockey anymore because I don't play, but Mm -hmm. we all struggle with life, right? And, you know, so maybe he needs that additional support. Dragging him back here and then hiding him from, you know, talking from media guys doesn't really give you a lot of confidence, um, you know, if you're if you're a leaf of, leaf observer that he's here, I think this has more more to do with you don't want Dennis Hill to be sitting around here watching Martin Jones play. I think having him here for a few days and for a road trip, good exposure, get him back. He's going to play for the Marlies on Friday. He might be back on the weekend, um, but uh, yeah, it, it doesn't seem like Samsonov was away long enough to really make the changes uh, or stabilize uh, in the way that I think needed to given his performance this season yeah that's an interesting proposition i mean do you want to be doing that i mean he would have to go through waivers again or would he i I don't know i I guess there's a proximity to waivers where if you go down you don't have to be sent down again but anyways i don't know do you want to be bouncing guys up and down the the ahl level like i guess the possibility exists that yeah dennis hildeby starts with the marlies on friday and then two days later is is playing in toronto for the leafs against the red wings is if like you were drawing it up uh Damien, would you, would you play it that way? Well, I, I think you're at the point where you'd like to see him play. Um, there's no question about it. They can bring him up and not bring Sam and not send Samsonov down, right? That's I mean, true. they can do. You know, they don't they don't have to, and they and they're gonna have to make a judgment on Samsonov. Uh, look, the ideal scenario here, guys, is that Samsonov gets his game back. You know, and that's what I think they're trying to achieve. Um, and maybe he's not really telling them what's going on and what's bugging them. 
So, uh, you know, actually an even more ideal scenario is Joseph Wall gets healthy, Matt Murray gets healthy, everybody's healthy, and then they can choose from this smorgasbord of of goaltenders that uh, Martin Jones seems to be the the ace of right now. Um, So I think you just, you know, when we talked last week, I said it's kind of a day-to-day thing right now, and it really is because there is no surefire answer, although, geez, Martin Jones looks good. I mean, he really does look good. (laughs) And when you look at uh, what Darcy Kemper did for the Colorado Avalanche a couple of seasons ago, it is not out of the realm of possibility, not that Martin Jones is necessarily going to backstop the Leafs to the Stanley Cup, but that he's going to go in there and be able to play for the long haul. His pedigree is as good, if not better, than Darcy Kemper's was um, when he won a Stanley Cup with Colorado. So all I can do is watch the games, and when I'm watching Martin Jones these days, I'm impressed. Mm. When you when you were in Europe visiting your pal Keith, like what, what kind of golf course did he <laughs> – like, did he have oh, you out? Man. Oh, my. And, and oh. is that over now? Like, I imagine, like... I feel that, like there's a connection. connection. Our, yeah. our, our friendship? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I don't know. You know the, the geography maybe made it a little easier these past couple of years, yeah. Dan. Well, I don't know. Let me, let me, let me just tell you. We, he, well, he belonged or, and belongs still to Wentworth Golf Courses, which is outside of London. Guys, it would blow your mind. <laughs> the fact that they even let me on the property... <laughs> Made, uh, you know, uh, made me, uh, stunned me. And then, like, playing the golf course and then walking around in the thing. And I thought, my, my, my reaction as a, as a little guy who grew up in Hamilton was, I don't belong here at all. <laughs> okay, Damien, we were all ready to let you go, but I have to, it's funny that you say that because that's exactly how I feel when I got into St. George's for Media Day last year. I'm like, wow, what am oh, I yeah, doing yeah. here? And that's how you yeah. feel about Wentworth. It just kind of proves uh, the disparity between between the two of us. So thank you for taking some time <laughs> for us here, Demo. Yeah. Oh, geez. Well, I think, uh, I think look, uh, just to wrap it up, I know you guys got to go, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think we should be thrilled for a guy who's a real Canadian success story. You know, I mean, uh, like I say, he's a friend of mine. I'm thrilled for him. But what a story he's been. I hope he writes a book. In fact, I think I hope you guys write a book about this show. It's really going to be – that would be a page turner. Oh, well, I was going to say, aren't, why, don't, why don't you offer to write I his book? I was going to say, I feel like you're leaving a little money on the table there, Demo. Don't tell yeah, someone else to yeah, do it. We'll Throw the what, hat we'll in the him, ring. Yeah, yeah, I'm a little busy right now. Um, <laughs> what with your talk. being a Leafs historian and all? <laughs> exactly right. All right, and 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 insider. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, pulling double duty today. <laughs> double duty. Uh, Damien, always a pleasure. Thanks, buddy. See you, boys. See ya, Damien Cox, our Leafs historian, Toronto Star contributor, and our insider, who was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. It was a very he is up here and I'm down here moment when he's talking about Wentworth the way I think, of course, is that I know he's played that uh, more than a handful of times Mm. in St. George's. I'm just like, like, yeah, I've been lucky enough to be there. And he's like, hmm, good for you. (laughs) Yeah, I get... Uh, God. So some people get intimidated by people, and I do that too. Like I can be intimidated by a person that I have a lot of respect for. Like when we started working together, you're Um, like, how can I quake in the boots of the legend that is? Yeah. No, I I am very intimidated by a piece of land when I'm talking about like a golf course like that. Like I've, yeah. And it's it's a different specter. I understand. I've also played St. George, same deal. Yeah. Where you step onto the tee and you're like, it's just grass. Eh, It's not though. It's 
it feels different. It does. Yeah. And there's a nervousness associated with it's all it's other sports. You don't get to play baseball at Yankee stadium, right? Like, no, you, you don't you, like you like, yeah, you, you, I should probably point out that most people like this is where we have to be remove ourselves from us. Most people don't get to play St. George's or courses yeah, like that either. Okay. You sure, can fork out the maybe, money and go play pebble. Yeah. And, and you know, and there's even local examples like mm-hmm. Glen Abbey yeah. is semi private, but you can, you can go play Glen Abbey. I've done it. Yeah. The, the possibility exists, mm-hmm. right? Where there is no scenario in which you get to suit up for the New York Yankees and play Yankee Stadium. It's it's a very unique sport in that circumstance. You're right, there's barriers for entry. and yeah. or, I understand that yeah. entirely. But that's part of what makes the sport so great. Is like you can you can go like Babe Ruth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he played at old Yankee Stadium. Yeah. And you'd never get to... you. No. The closest you'll get is sitting in the bleachers at Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, Arnold Palmer played Mississauga. You can yep. go play Mississauga. First win at Weston Golf and Country Club, and I've been lucky enough to play it. So, yeah, it's, uh, it is it is an amazing thing. And this, of course, leads us to the conversation we've been waiting to have about the distance debate in golf and why, no, we're not going to do that right mm-hmm. here. But that is where my mind's going, so you better lead me astray before I get to a dissertation on that. I was so right. There's so many things we're not going to get mm-hmm. to today. We'll see. But uh, here's what we're going to get to right now. Ahead of the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star Game this year, we will be giving away family four-packs of tickets to the NHL Fanfare coming to Toronto February 1st through the 4th. Just listen for the daily code word in episodes of the Fan Morning Show today until January 26th and text it to 59590 to be entered for a chance to win. Today's code word is Rogers. Our next code word will be in tomorrow's episode. However, tickets to the Fanfare also available for purchase at NHL.com slash fanfare while supplies last. When we come back, R.J. Barrett looks a whole lot different than the guy we saw play for the Knicks at MSG this season. How different? We'll talk to Fred Katz, Knicks beat writer for The Athletic Next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Moral victories for the Raptors. We're back there, but it's hard not to argue with a shorthanded Raptors team. No Jakob Pertl, no Pascal Siakam. Uh, playing a very... Closely contested game in L.A. on the back end of back-to-backs against Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers losing 126-120. And R.J. Barrett, as he's wont to do as a member of the Raptors, very efficient, very good in a losing effort yesterday. 10-16 from the field, 4-6 from three, 24 points. Is Yeah, it, it seems like he's unburdened. Something's happening uh, when you compare the stats he put up in New York this season to the ones he's putting up as a member of the Raptors. Let's talk to Fred Katz. Nick's uh, beat writer for The Athletic. How's it going, Fred? It's going great. How about you guys? Doing very well. Very much enjoying uh, Emmanuel Quickly and R.J. Barrett, as I'm sure Knicks fans are enjoying watching OG Ananobi. They've yet to see him in a losing effort and, you know, chanting his name at MSG. And we'll get to that in just a second. But I, I'm interested in, in, in your perspective on, on R.J., who's not been like an abject failure as a third overall selection in the NBA. But, you know, we've, we've seen Zach Lowe on, on his podcast talk about, you know, sources referring to the contract as a toxic asset. And he's been so great as, as a Raptor. Like, how do, how do you view his tenure in New York? Uh, you know, it was up and down. He had some 
he had some really great moments. You know, he was he was one of their best players during the playoff run last year when they beat Cleveland in the first round and took Miami to six games in round two. Uh, he obviously had some, some massive games. Got off to a great start this year over the first six games, and then migraines kept him out for a few games. And once he came back from the migraines, he just – he wasn't he wasn't quite the same and and you kind of you know he's he's capable of getting really 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 hot like he is right now and then he's had some streaks where he's he's really fallen off but you know like like you said i mean he has been fantastic since since getting to toronto and the thing that i always came back to is like rj has his flaws he always he's always had to work kind of on the decision making on the distributing part of his game um, you know, that kind of stuff. And obviously the jump shot is, is hit or miss, but he's only 23. He's talented. He's a very hard worker. Uh, you know, he cares about the right things. He cares about defense and all of that. Uh, and the people who are his supporters, the people who believe in him, have always bet on the personality, bet on that a guy who's talented, who cares about the right things, who does work hard, who does understand what it takes to be successful, will eventually start to figure it out. Uh, and he's still only 23 years old, like I said. So it's, it's yet to be seen exactly how this is going to go because my guess is he's not all of a sudden just a 55% three-point shooter. Don't think so. But, uh, but, he's, been, but he's, he's, been, he's been fantastic. He's been great. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could say this about a lot of sports, but I think it's maybe more true in the NBA than any other. Like, circumstances will dictate what you're able to do to a certain extent, right? And not to say that he was a victim of circumstances in New York, but if there was ever going to be a place where he was going to be able to have a fresh kind of reset and and find the right role for himself, it was at home here, here in Toronto. I, I want to ask you about the other guy involved in the trade as well, and no, not OG yet, uh, Emmanuel Quickly. I mean, uh, obviously, you've seen flashes of this in New York with Jalen Brunson there he was never going to get a chance to really really shine are, are you at all surprised to th- see quickly kind of thriving in this lead guard role and what do you maybe think his his ceiling is as a player in this league no not surprised at all actually as a matter of fact i i kind of expected his, his scoring average to be in the 20s uh i i i and i still think it will be I, i'm not surprised in the least the only thing stopping quickly in New York was the fact that the Knicks already have an all-star caliber point guard in Jalen Brunson. And the Knicks didn't feel like they could play those guys next to each other enough to warrant giving quickly the, the big contract that he's inevitably going to get this upcoming summer, which is why they couldn't come to terms on an extension. And so he's playing 24 minutes a game with the Knicks. And, and, and it's just from basketball perspective, the Knicks didn't view it as the best fit. However, if you go around that organization, you ask, what do you think of Emmanuel quickly as a player? I think you are going to get pretty unanimous responses on that is an extremely good basketball player. He is an incredibly smart defender. Obviously, he can score. Uh, he's incredibly confident. He's got a beautiful floater. He can shoot off the dribble. He's a good pick and roll player. Uh, I think Everybody with the Knicks expected him to blow up basically as soon as he got to Toronto. Uh, He has believed for a long time that he's worthy of a starting role in the NBA. uh, And it just wasn't going to happen with the Knicks. And I really think this is going to go down as one of those trades where we look back on it and Toronto says, 
you know what? I do that a hundred times out of a hundred. And the Knicks say, you know what? I do that a hundred times out of a hundred. You mentioned the fit with Barrett stuff too. Like in New York, the fit with Barrett wasn't great. You know, it, it, him and Julius Randle next to each other. It was, it was a lot of guys who are best inside the three point arc and with the ball in their hands. And it just didn't work as well as it should have. Uh, and you get all of these guys into situations that are better for them. And it's no coincidence that they all look great. Yeah, you, you, this is exactly where I wanted to go. I mean, you pay attention to the league at large. We're talking Knicks and Raps here. But can you think of a time when, you know, there are times when both teams eventually get the better of a trade where one team gets a player in the moment and then the assets become useful for that team down the road. But I can't think of the last NBA trade that immediately both franchises are sitting there going, how did we not do this trade two months ago? It just reset everything so much better for both of us. Like, I cannot remember the last immediate win-win trade we, we saw like this in the NBA. Yeah, the one, the one that I've been comparing it to is the first Paul George trade. The one when mm-hmm. Paul George went to Oklahoma City and Oklahoma City sent Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis to Indiana. And I think they were like, from a basketball perspective, it was very similar And then from a narrative perspective, it was very similar. You know, like OG would be playing the role of Paul George in this as the expiring big wing who is going to the other team who hopes to re-sign him and is, is, is the best player in that deal. And then going the other way is Victor Oladipo, who was a former top three pick, just like RJ Barrett, who had local ties because he went to Indiana. And that was something that, Uh, Indiana valued, that the Pacers valued, that he had those local ties, just like with R.J. Barrett, uh, and and who hadn't quite reached that potential that a lot of people thought he was going to reach at that point yet in his career. Uh, And then there was also DeMontis Sabonis, who I guess would be analogous to quickly in this one, who played his rookie year in Oklahoma City and kind of played out of position, kind of like how quickly he was doing because of Brunson, because Sabonis was next to Steven Adams, right? And so that year, Sabonis is this phenomenal passing center who can facilitate from the high post and score and is so strong and so good down low. And they were using him as a stretch four because they had Steven Adams, who was already this brute paint-dwelling center. Uh, and, and he was just, Sabonis was just shooting catch-and-shoot threes. And all of a sudden, those two guys go to Indiana. Oladipo breaks out and makes all NBA. Savonis becomes a fabulous player who they then eventually makes all-star, and they then eventually swap him for um, Tyrese Halliburton. The Thunder had re-signed Paul George and then eventually trade him in a deal to get some Shea Gilgis-Alexander and 986 first-round picks. If you ask both teams, would you do that trade again? Immediately, in, in the smallest fraction of a second you could think of, they both say yes, you know? Uh, and I, I think that's how this is going to go down. I think that's what this is going to be like. All right. So let's talk about OG, who is plus 111 <laughs> as a member of the New York Knicks. They've yet to lose a game. Uh, they're chanting his name at MSG. I mean, where is his his star? And, and like, where is his... Um, where is he viewed in, in relation to the other stars on this Knicks team as early as it is in his tenure there, like compared to Jalen Brunson, like where, where is, where's OG Ananobi from a perception standpoint as a member of the Knicks? Um, I mean, it's, it's Brunson's team, you know, like Brunson, Brunson is, is certainly the guy. 
Julius Randle has been playing absolutely out of his mind as well uh, over the last really month and a half, two months. He's he's just played incredible basketball, and he's played even better basketball since the trade, in part because Randle is just such a wrecking ball going to the rim, and he's made a much more concerted effort to get to the rim often this season. And the space that Ananobi affords them in their offense with not just his corner three-point shooting, but how smart of a cutter he is, how smart of an off-ball mover he is, how good he is in transition, how he can get defenses mismatched because of that and all of that. It has done wonders for Julius Randle. You know, after, after their first game, they win their first game together. It was a home win over the Minnesota Timberwolves, who had the best, you know, had the best record in the Western Conference. And it was an upset of the Timberwolves, and Julius Randle was very giddy after that game, and he referred to OG as the perfect fit. And I agree. They really, really needed a big wing who could shoot, who could make an impact off the ball, who could still find a way to score, and who could guard every single kind of person in existence. And that exactly is exactly what Ananobi did. You know, in that first game, he's guarding Anthony Edwards, and he's also guarding Carl Anthony Towns. And he's making an impact on both those sides. Uh, the team's defense has been fantastic since they acquired him. Uh, it went from really, really struggling because their best defensive player, Mitchell Robinson, got, got hurt, had ankle surgery. And the defense has really struggled since the Robinson surgery. And all of a sudden... They've been forcing turnovers. They're getting stops. They're getting out running. Uh, and it kind of realigned the roster. You know, the Knicks previously had, they had too many, like, guards with overlapping skill sets where they have all of these guards who are 6'4 and under, and Josh Hart and Quentin Grimes and Dante DiVincenzo and Jalen Brunson and Emmanuel Quickly. They have all of these guys who have these overlapping skill sets. And Ananobi just kind of rebalances the roster gives more opportunity now for Grimes to bust out. And it's not a coincidence that Grimes has been fantastic since the trade puts Miles McBride, who's this spicy backup point guard into the rotation. And it's not a coincidence that Miles McBride has been fantastic since the trade. Uh, Randall's game has taken off. Uh, It's just, everybody seems to kind of be in their proper spot in the hierarchy. And this team is playing really incredible basketball. Like they, they're not just winning games. They're blowing the doors off of teams. You know, they beat, they beat Minnesota. They, they beat the 76ers in Philly at full strength Mm -hmm. by 36. Uh, They're, they're just, they're not, they won by 28 the other night. They're, they're just annihilating teams. Uh, They're, they're really playing incredible basketball right now. Yeah, and, and the Raptors haven't quite done that, but man, they've been so much more watchable than the team we saw b- before the trade and uh, have been the victim of some uh, dubious officiating on this road trip and uh, yeah, some some lack of health uh, as far as yesterday is concerned. Looking at the schedule, and we got the first matchup of these two teams since the trade coming up a week from Saturday at MSG. These two teams obviously have been connected because of the James Dolan, Masai Ujiri stuff, and I guess a, a pending lawsuit that, that still exists. But now the, the, the trade, I mean, maybe it takes it to another level. I, I guess you can't have a rivalry until maybe you meet in the postseason. How do you view the relationship with, with these two teams, and is that like a marquee event, uh, the, the first matchup between these two at MSG? Well, I think it's a rivalry 
mostly just for ownership. I don't really think it's a rivalry, anything beyond that, to be honest. Uh, when, when Barrett and Quickly get announced at MSG, I, I would bet a, any name the sum of money. Name any sum of money. If I have it, I'll bet it uh, that those guys are going to get rousing ovations. Knicks fans love those guys. Uh, you know, what they represent to Knicks fans is this is an organization that was really bad for literally decades. And what those guys represent to Knicks fans are the young guys who helped them come back to, like, real confidence. Uh, you know, the Knicks right now are tracking to make the playoffs for the third time in four years. It's not really a team that does this. And those guys gave them a ton of great moments, uh, always played the right way, always handled themselves like total pros, uh, and, and, and played the game with a lot of joy. And Knicks fans, you'd be hard-pressed to find any individual Knicks fan who did not develop an extreme affection for either Quickly or Barrett, if not both of them. Those were kind of like the young guy darlings who fans really latched onto. You know, like you guys have seen now what kind of, you know, Quickly plays the game, especially with such, such joy and energy. You know, and and the fans just really respond to that, and they were both really fan favorites. And and it's not like either of them were dying to go or anything like that. So I, I think I don't really think it's going to feel like a rivalry. On top of the fact that it's a lot easier for Knicks fans to stomach those guys playing unbelievable elsewhere when they can see that the trade really helped their team too. Like, I think the day that they made the trade, the fan sentiment was kind of like, oh, my goodness, you lose quickly, you lose RJ, what a mistake. Uh-huh. And I think it's taken only five games for that sentiment to be like, yeah, love those guys. They're awesome, but totally understand from basketball reason why this trade was made. Yeah, OG no no longer the most underrated defender in the NBA. He is he's gonna become properly rated. <laughs> properly rated when he's maybe taking the next to new heights and and playing in the media market that is uh, uh, New York. And yeah, Fred, like OG has been great on the court, obviously, and bringing the Knicks everything they want. Uh, how how's he been to deal with from a media perspective? Not exactly verbose. Not verbose. You know, there was a moment after the game the other night that just that just killed me. I was laughing so hard. I don't know why I thought it was so funny. But so Rebecca Harlow, who's the great sideline reporter for the Knicks, does the, the on-court interview with the player of the game after the game. And the, the interview is always, you know, over the loudspeakers at the arena, as well as obviously on TV. And she's holding the microphone up to OG, who is the player of the game, after every Lenda team is scoring, after, after every question she asks, she puts the microphone into his face, like in any TV interview. And every time she does it, OG, like, grabs the mic with his hand. <laughs> and he does it, he does it, you know, in a way that, like, his, your body language would say, like, it reminds me of when Zaza Pachulia was playing Game seven, Atlanta baby. And Nothing when, easy. Exactly. Exactly. They won that huge game six to force a game seven, and Zaza grabs the mic and he's like, "Game seven, baby!" Or, or when, or when, or when Kevin when Kevin Garnett grabbed the mic after they won the title, and he's like, "Anything is possible." And it's like you grab the mic for the huge moments, and every time OG grabs the mic and he's like, 
it was good. <laughs> and, then, and then it just goes, it, it goes back to Rebecca, and it happened for literally all four questions. I'm, I'm Amazing. cackling. He's hilarious. I am cackling, absolutely cackling at it. And and I don't, I don't know if it was a self-aware moment or not. I'm losing it. I'm sitting next to Ian Begley from SMY. I'm like, Ian, look at what's happening with the mic right now. It is just he notices he starts dying. It's it's it was hysterical. It is self-aware. Yes, we have he we, is actually hilarious. we have made this point. There are fake funny athletes who go out of their way to be like, hey, aren't I telling a joke? Please laugh. OG, just pay attention to him. You've already seen it. Legit funny. So please, I mean, enjoy him on the court, of course, but enjoy him off the court just as much. Yeah, legend. Yeah, I mean that that killed me. I was <laughs> I was absolutely rolling over. <laughs> so good. What about scarves? All right, uh, Fred. Uh, this has been great. Thanks for doing this. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is Fred Katz, next beat writer for the Athletic. What about but what scarves? About scarves? But what about scarves? But what about scarves? But what about scarves? I put you on scarves. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'll miss that. Is it again? <laughs> it's so funny. It's legitimately funny. And I have to say, like, I know not to make everything about the Leafs, but I always do feel for the Knicks. Like, I feel like the Leafs and the Knicks, they share this spiritual Mm -hmm. kinship of heart and soul in terms of the geographical center of the game, but hasn't quite gone the way it should Mm -hmm. have. So, you know, I don't like if it's it's Knicks wraps in the playoff series. We all know how I hope that goes, but... Mm -hmm. I, I definitely have a little little soft spot for the no, Knicks, for the, sure. The NBA is better when the Knicks are relevant and good. Like, that's obvious, obvious, obvious. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason why, even despite the lack of success over the last two decades, yeah. that every NBA star, when they go to the Mecca that is MSG, mm-hmm. puts on a show. Yep. And Pascal Siakam's, what, 50-piece that he, he, yeah. he put on them last season? Like, mm-hmm. that's going to be one of the highlights of his entire career. It's still... A mainstay uh, of of the NBA, even when the Knicks aren't good, and when they are good, and maybe they're better than good, like maybe mm-hmm. they're great. They haven't lost with OG Ananobi, and they've they've fended off some some pretty tough opponents, as Fred rightly points yep. out, starting right out of the gates with the the Minnesota Timberwolves. That when it yeah, feels, who knows what the the limit is with that team? It feels like those like Van Gundy Knicks teams a little. Like I don't want to overstate it. Like Oakley's not poking around. I don't expect Van Gundy or or Tibbs to be grabbing on anybody's ankles here. But like Jalen Brunson just finds a way. Gritty guy, Randall, same thing. OG definitely a lot of grit to to his game. Like I just think that's a market that is going to love, love, love that team. Obviously, they would have loved like you know Kevin Durant or any of the superstars they've courted over the years. But mm-hmm. I think this group, it's we talk about it all the time here. It's a much similar ethos that yeah, you love the superstars, but when it's a group of guys who are just a tick below that performing like them, that's what you truly love the most. Yeah. And when you got a guy who's a hard worker and I mean, performing outside of the defense yeah. thing, like he's, he's, he's still, he's the player of the game. Last game he played OG Ananobi plus 111. Um, yeah. What's not to like if you're a Knicks fan and it's, I mean, Fred's right to, to point out the previous example of the Paul George trade that everybody would do again in a heartbeat. Those things are few and far between. Yeah. It reminds me of, you know, when you hear about a relationship and people talking mm-hmm. about, you know, there's an amicable separation. Yeah. Like they're going to sell us this afternoon in New England between Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots. 
I don't necessarily buy it there, mm. but in this instance, it's hard to argue with either side of, of the equation. Yeah, it certainly is. We're going to go soon. If I could just make a request to the sports world, um, somebody get a mic in front of Tort's face again today so we could talk about him tomorrow. I've been dying. Mm. Uh, it is truly the greatest sport story ever, but pack we haven't talked about it proves just how loaded a sports week it's been. Oh, yeah, and Keith Belly officially named president. Officially of official. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. It's been the Fan Morning Show. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sports 590 The Fan. Good morning. Good morning.